Welcome to Apply Filters, the podcast all about WordPress development. Now, here's your hosts, Pippin Williamson and Brad Tunar. Yes, I am Brad Tunar, and joining me as usual is my co-host, Pippin Williamson. Say hello, Pippin. Hello. This is episode 20, and in this episode, we are going to be talking about our biggest failures in uh, our WordPress development, or just development in general, really. And then we're going to get into some some news items, uh, talk talk first, uh, let's talk first about what we've been up to. What have you been up to, Pippin? Um, well, first of all, I, I took a vacation recently for the first time in a while, like a true vacation where I actually shut down and didn't do any work um, or very little work. Uh, I went up to Canada to visit some family. Dear God, Canada? Yeah! <laughs> I don't, there's some crazy people up there. <laughs> yeah. No, but I was on right there on uh, Lake Ontario outside of Toronto, and it was a, it was a beautiful little area. Um, but it was really nice. Got shut down for a little bit, and then I came home after being up there for about five or six days and immediately started working on uh, a new add-on for Affiliate WP for tracking recurring referrals. So ever since Affiliate WP was launched, one of the biggest feature requests we've gotten was the ability to have recurring referrals so that you can reward affiliates commissions on the lifetime of a customer. So if a customer signs up for your membership and then they pay you a monthly fee or a yearly fee, that affiliate can can uh, gain a referral on every payment that they make for the right. lifetime of the customer. Right, because right now yeah. they only get the first, the very right. first sale. Right, they would get sale. the first one. So let's yeah. say they sign up for a $20 monthly payment, and so and you get a 20% commission, so you get... $4. Uh, yeah, exactly, you get $4. That's it. Well, so now instead, if somebody signs up for a $20, uh, $20 monthly payment and is a member for four years, that affiliate has now just received a much larger earning. Right, whatever that uh, comes so, out to. I don't. I'm not that quick at. Yeah, what, I'm, I'm not gonna try and do the math in my head. I'll, <laughs> I'll fail. Uh, but anyway, so I started. I was working on that that add-on for it, which is an add-on available to our developer license holders. Uh, that adds support for that for WooCommerce subscriptions, my Restrict Content Pro plugin, uh, the membership add-on for Easy Digital Downloads, membership add-on for iThemes Exchange. Wow. Um, and then it's also it, we've got a couple more that it's going to support. It will support Gravity Forms. Member Mouse, Paid Memberships Pro, uh, and maybe a couple of others. But anyway, so that all of that add-on was that was built as one add-on, and we got that pushed out the door two days ago. That's awesome. So that sounds, pretty pleased uh, with that. Yeah, you, you must yeah. have been getting like quite a few people requesting that stuff, were you? We got, we had a couple of requests every single week for it. Wow. And so we had a pretty long list of customers that had either purchased or said that they were waiting for that to purchase it. Right. Did you have um, anybody like requ- like basically offer to like fund the development of it? I, I get that sometimes. Uh, we do see that a lot. Um, I mean, I've seen that with everything from EDD extensions to custom plugins to affiliate WP. And I think we did have a couple of users that mentioned that they would be willing to fund the development. I didn't take anybody up on it, uh, for one, because I was already going to build it. And I knew that it it wasn't an issue of having the, the funds to develop it. It was mostly figuring out when I'm going to sit down and actually build it. Right. The cool thing about the add-on is it's actually pretty simple. It's not a complex system at all to build. Um, as long as each of the, the membership plugins that are tracking these recurring payments, as long as they have the necessary hooks in place when a recurring referral is, I mean, when a recurring payment is, is logged, it's actually not difficult to build. Right. Um, gotcha. So I found that... Uh, 
it, it works based on like what we call integrations. And so each integration, like Restrict Content Pro would be an integration. WooCommerce subscriptions would be an integration. And so each one of these integrations for each of these plugins is a class that extends a base class. And each one of them is on average 40 or 50 lines of code right. maximum. It's pretty small. Yeah. So like I managed to add in support for WooCommerce subscriptions in about 15 minutes. Right. Um, and so, and I can, for example, I'm going to add in member mouse here in the next week or two, and it's probably going to take maybe 30 minutes to add in and test. Mm-hmm. Um, right. now the extension, the add on took far longer than that to build because I had to lay the framework for it and, and build some stuff around it. But now that it's built, adding support for additional systems is usually pretty simple. Right. Cause you built it properly. <laughs> right. Which is the same way that affiliate WP is the base plugin works too. Uh, if there's a new e-commerce plugin that comes out tomorrow, as long as they have the proper hooks, I could add in support f- to it for in Affiliate WP in 30 minutes. Right, that's awesome. So I heard that you were in uh, when you were in Canada, there was basically no cell service whatsoever for for your carrier. <laughs> for me, there wasn't because I completely neglected to think about the fact that my current plan would not work in Canada because I don't have an international plan. Oh, that's um, your plan. So it would have worked if you had an internet. It, it would have worked. Like, I, honestly, I could have gone to Verizon and said, hey, I'm going to be in Canada. I want to purchase a temporary plan. Right. Probably would have cost me 50 bucks. Right. And I could have done it really yeah. easily. Yeah. Every but time I go I down, every time I go to the U.S., I shell out 45 bucks for like a data yeah. plan for 150 megs, yep. which is. Yeah, that, that's exactly what I would have done. So I completely forgot about it until I got there. And at that time, I. I just decided, you know what, I'm going to take it as a, as more of a reminder that I should take a break more often and just say, not going to worry about it. Yeah. I'm disconnected. And it was awesome. Yeah, but it's weird at first, though, isn't it? <laughs> oh, it's so weird. Because I'm, I'm so used to having my phone with me, whether I'm using it or not, that if I need to, I can jump in and look at something. Yeah. And I couldn't do that suddenly. And... It, it was strange because it was so different from what I was used to. It's, it's but it was the, very refreshing. It's then that you realize that your phone's become kind of, kind of an extension of your your mind and body. Oh, kind very of, much right? so. So, it's you don't realize it till it's gone. <laughs> yep. Damn. So, what have you been working on? Uh, so we we launched just two days ago. We launched Migrate DB Pro uh, 1.4 and the CLI add-on. Uh, so you can now run migrations from the command line, which is That's awesome. awesome. And uh, we launched a new design for our site that I did myself. I saw that. It looks looks fantastic. I like Thanks. that you didn't. Um, it didn't radically change. It 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 didn't really didn't. And uh, I did that yeah, actually. The first when I first saw your tweet that says, "Hey, the new design is launched." I was I was out mobile somewhere, and so I pulled it up on my phone really quick to look. And I actually at first I thought it was cached because since it was mobile, I couldn't see all the details to see that it was different. <laughs> right. And, and I thought about responding like, "Hey, it's not actually live yet, by the way." Oh no, yes it is. Yeah. And I liked uh, that a lot because it was, it was very subtle, and it's to me in some ways it's almost more like an iteration and an, an improvement as opposed to a whole new thing. Yeah, I've heard people in the like designers they call this a, a realign rather than a redesign because uh, you're just really huh. tweaking things and sure. making it maybe look a little bit more modern or something. Um, yep. But yeah, most of it is is very similar. The big change is really the 
the features page uh, for the product. So right, that's the I did one. see that, and and that was that's what when I when I was looking at it, and at first I wasn't completely sure I was seeing the new design, and then I went to features, and I'm like, wait, a minute, oh, this is completely different. Yeah, 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 and I looks great. I spent some time rewriting copies, just you know, stuff that I've kind of picked up in the last 13, sure. 14 months since last time I designed it. So yeah, I learned a lot in in this year and a bit. So um, yeah, and also we are getting Brian Castle and I are, are starting to uh, organize Big Snow Tiny Conf, which is pretty far away. I mean, it's the summertime right now, and. We've, but we're setting dates. We're we're gonna do it January twenty sixth to the 29th. Um, so that's right. the week right after Pressnomics. So if anyone's flying in from, where are you doing that again? Uh, in Vermont. So, so yeah, if, right. if anyone's flying in from, you know, away for for Pressnomics, they can just stick around for the next week and 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 hit up some snowboarding with us. Yeah, well, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and make it up for that because I was pretty sad I couldn't make it last year because that sounds awesome. Yeah, man, I hope you can. I hope you can make it this year. Um, so in, um, sorry to jump back real quick. Yeah, I'm curious what what's new in WP MicroDB Pro 1.4 aside from the CLI add-on? Oh, there's quite a bit. Uh, so internationalization is complete. So you can translate the entire thing um so that's pretty big uh addition as well mm -hmm. and then yeah obviously the cli add-on is is this the version where you added in the ability to pause migrations or I was did. that already there yeah we did we did that's so, that's such a cool feature so you can pause uh, resume and cancel we wrote wrote a whole blog post about that and about about all the other features as well um, does does the pause and resume feature allow you to start a migration, pause it, close the window, come back later? <laughs> no, that's or it's only while the window's open. It's only while the window's open. That that would be that would be pretty be crazy. Amazing. Yeah. Well, I wasn't sure if you were storing like some sort of persistent data in the database that says this is where we are. Right. No, we just we really it's really basic. It it's just using uh, the AJAX and JavaScript stuff sure. to, to keep track of like how far along it is and stuff. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, still so very cool. Pretty simple, and and that's a good thing because you don't want things to be complex because it'd be more likely to break in this scenario probably. Yeah. Totally. Um, but one of the things I'm most excited about for this release is the compatibility mode. Thing. I think this might be a first. I've never seen this before, and we spent a lot of time trying to figure out this problem of of other plugins that are installed conflicting with our plugin. Right. And Is this where you're modifying which plugins can run during your request? Exactly. That's so, so cool. I actually I played with that feature uh, two weeks ago using the beta version, and it seemed to work perfectly. Right, exactly. So just today, for example, uh, a customer was uh, having problems with Polyglot. It's a plugin that does uh, translations. I think that's the name of it. Um, and uh, so what we did is, you know, you just check off the box that says, I want to exclude certain plugins for requests that MigrateDB Pro makes. And, uh, and then you choose the plugins that you don't want to run which should be really all of them in most cases. The only ones you would want to 
uh, that to run is if you're like hooking into Migrate DB Pro or or something like right. that, right? Yeah, I think when I tested, I just disabled all of them, and yeah. so for that customer, did being able to disable Polyglots fix the issue? Uh yeah, totally. That's awesome. <laughs> we already knew it though. We kind of cheated because we knew previously that that from debugging with them that that's what fixed it disabling that plugin um, just manually deactivating it. yeah but it's it's still re uh, i mean it still enforces the, the need for that option oh yeah absolutely and if we've you, had problems can, with other plugins as well yeah if you can take care of a support request or a problem for a user with with that feature i think it's absolutely worth it yeah and it's it's kind of this is almost like a pilot the way we've implemented it because I could see this being just the way it works in the future, you know, um, mm -hmm. and just not not activate any plugins for 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 our requests because uh, it's it's a huge improvement for performance if you have big plugins running like uh, WooCommerce. So, like... because WP Migrate Pro is such a specialized system and, and, a, and a specialized plugin, right? I wonder if it'd be at some point advantageous to automatically disable all of the plugins for your request, but then have a way for plugins to register as WP MigraDB Pro plugins in a yes. way. Yeah, exactly. So basically a plugin would register support. And if that plugin registers it, you don't disable that one. Because exactly. what you don't want to do is automatically disable all plugins and then find out, oh, well, this plugin was supposed to run because it's modifying the requests in a way it's supposed to. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and another step, sometimes themes conflict with our requests as well. For example, they might output some errors, right? And that sure. screws up AJAX requests because the AJAX requests... Oh, noti notices or errors of any kind in AJAX are a real pain. Yeah, because AJAX is usually returning JSON, right? And then so it corrupts the JSON and game over. Yep. So, um, so yeah, we're going to try to exclude themes as well. Um, but at the same time, we want to be careful because some people might be using hooks in their theme as well. So um, we just need to be a little cautious there. Sure. So I think this is all really, really cool. And I think it shows a lot of not just refinement and polish to the product, which is very clearly does. Um, but I think it also shows that there's a lot of experience with really small uh, nuances in development and problems that have been encountered in, in development over however long you, you've been developing. So basically in, in your experience as a developer. Uh, and I think I think that these this level of a polish and these things that you guys are thinking about shows that there's a lot of that experience. Yeah. So a few weeks ago we got a a cool topic request from Sammy from Foxnet Themes who if uh, if you're listening, you may remember he was kind enough to sponsor an episode a few months ago. And he asked a question about uh, if we would be willing to talk about some of our biggest failures in development uh, as, as developers. Uh, and I think this is a really good segue because having though that level of refinement, those thinking about those deeper issues in development, to me indicate that you've had those experiences. You've had some some failures where you learn the hard way maybe, um, or you learn different things that can really make it make an impact. Yeah. And so um, do you have anything that you would like to share about some of the things that maybe, uh, whether they were failures in development, failures in technique, um, yeah, over I, the last few years, something, anything at all? Well, 
I've got a pretty good story. It's from ages ago. It's like, I think it was 2000 or 2001, right? So, I don't know. Some of you might not have even been born then. <laughs> I was not writing code then. <laughs> um, and I was, so I was on a co-op work term uh, at a company called SmartForce. And they're an e-learning company. And we, you know, I was on the team that was coding up the learning management system. And uh, I don't know, my manager asked me to do something. And so I whipped something up and then I sent, sent it off to him. And it was wrong or it didn't work or whatever. And he sent it back to me. And so I fixed whatever. I took another crack at it and then sent it back to him again. And then he sent it back to me again. And I did the same thing again. Back it came. And that time he lost it at me. He basically, like, he reamed me out because I was using him as my tester. He was doing all the testing. I was doing none, right? And so that I learned, I still remember this. You know, it's been over 10 years. And I remember it very clearly that that's when I decided, okay, from now on, I'm going to test, you know, and then test again and then test again myself, right? Uh, and, and I think that has helped me become a better developer. Um, and especially when I'm releasing code, cause I, you know, sub after that, you know, when I'd release code and people would come back, it's the same kind of thing, right? Like, that's a reminder. Oh yes, I should do more testing. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And you know, and that's not even necessarily just testing crazy edge cases. No. That's just doing general testing of whatever it is you've built. Yeah, I think there's an almost an arrogance with developers sometimes. Uh, I know there was with me anyway, where it's like, you, oh, this is a simple little fix. I'm just going to code it cowboy style and then ship it. And, you know, it, there's no way there'd be a bug with that, right? That's the attitude <laughs> that, that I used to have. And it's, and it's a ter terrible attitude because there's a lot of times where you're going to be wrong there. It may seem like it's simple, but it may affect other things that you're not thinking about. I learned that lesson the hard way for sure. Uh, I learned it mostly in doing plugin support uh, for, for paying customers where maybe there was a, maybe there was a bug in the plugin or I was doing a little bit of custom work for them or something. And so I would log into their site and fix it in the inline editor oh. and hit, hit update. And guess what? white screen. And unfortunately, when I was first learning that that's just a terrible way to do it, if you especially if you have alternatives, was before WordPress would uh, do a check and look for fatal errors. Right. And so if you fatal error a plugin, guess what? Site dead. And yeah. I, I don't know how many customer sites I killed by doing that. Uh, <laughs> more than I care to think about. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's... I mean, that's how you learn that, that it's a bad thing, right? You know, people are going to hear us saying these things and they may do, this might be the way they operate right now. But at some point, something is going to go terribly wrong. <laughs> you know, what's interesting, um, I don't think anybody is is ever going to be, I mean, at least I hope, mo most reasonable reasonable developers are not likely to go and try and claim that it's smart to do it this way, to jump in with cowboy coding like that and just run untested code. But what I think a lot of developers that do do it, they, they fail to see where it's really a problem. Um, 
they, the, I think they'll acknowledge that it's probably not the best idea if they have alternatives, sure, but is it really a problem? But I think it's something that people have to learn for themselves. You can have someone tell you over and over, don't do it this way, here's something better. But it's not really going to sink in until you have that unfortunate experience where your boss just reams you. Right. Or you have that experience where you kill a customer's site and they're furious with you. Right. Um, in, order for, in order for some of those practices to really set in, I think you have to learn trial by fire sometimes. Yeah. Um, and there's a really great way of doing that is by releasing code on .org or... Yeah, I mean that's that's a great way because if you update the plugin there and you know you know a few hundred people maybe let's say uh, you know get the update and it's taken down their site, they're not going to be happy. They're going to let you know, right? Yeah, I mean unless unless you just don't care at all, it's going to affect you in some way, right? Uh, and most likely it's going to make you think, okay, I don't want to repeat that experience. So what do I do now to ensure that I don't? Exactly. And I mean, if you're if you're selling something, if you're selling a plugin and you release it and it breaks, I think that's even worse because there's an expectation from customers that what you're shipping is going to work. That's been tested really well. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and may have even been released as a beta uh, previously. So I think you know, releasing code that that you're that you're selling is also another good way to do this. It's a different di dynamic at work there for sure. Yeah, certainly. Um, I, I know that I learned the hard way from like the, the importance of testing. Uh, and I've, I struggled with this with some people. Um, I mean, I, actually I think anytime that you work with other people, you, you struggle with it because if anyone ever commits something without testing it and then you find a bug, you inherently want to say like, well, why didn't you just test this more? Yeah, um, yeah, of course. And, and I and I think we have to be careful about maybe accusing other people of that because we, if we look back on it, we realize I either do that or I did it that way for a long time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I mean, sometimes the bug, maybe they did test it, right? Maybe they just missed it. That's that's also a possibility. Absolutely. So, yeah, you can't be too quick to judge for sure when it comes to code. There's a lot of a lot of hangups. So, anyways, yeah. If if there's any, um, but I like I like the idea. I like going back and looking at um, mistakes that we've made as developers, <coughs> and looking at how they've they've absolutely influenced how we work today. Uh, and I think, I think for you, um, some of that is very out, um, evident in the way that you build WP MicroDB Pro in the level of polish. Some of the things that you think about. Um, Oh, and so yeah. if anybody else would like to to share stories that they have, we would love to hear them. Um, I know every developer who has built anything has a failure story at some point. Absolutely. And if you don't, you're lying. You're a dirty liar. Yeah. <laughs> and it's okay if you don't ever want to talk about them. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie. The, the, some of the things that I did early on made me cringe so much that I would rather they never be known to the world. But... Eh, I mean, you yeah. you learn, live and learn, man. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, um, go for did, it. Did you want to talk about uh, airplane mode? Yeah. I'd like to give a little shout out to uh, Mr. Andrew Norcross quickly. He wrote a little plugin recently called airplane mode. 
Uh, you can find it on GitHub if you go to uh, github.com slash Norcross. Uh, you can also find it on post status. Brian Krogsgaard wrote up a little post about it. As a cool little development tool, uh, if you do a lot of traveling and you don't have Wi-Fi on the plane, or you do a lot of local development where you don't have Wi-Fi, or maybe your Wi-Fi goes out for four days, as mine did recently, uh, whatever reason, if you don't have an internet connection, sometimes working in WordPress can be kind of painful because there's a lot of remote requests that run, actually. Uh, everything from Gravatar to, to Google Fonts to um, a couple of other things as well, like update checks to .org, for example. And sometimes they fail nicely, sometimes they don't, sometimes they just slow down uh, because they're waiting for HTTP, HTTP requests to timeout. Uh, but anyway, so this is a little plugin that Norcross wrote that the idea is the same way that you turn your phone into airplane mode, which disables all of this, uh, the outgoing and incoming signals. You can do the same thing with your WordPress by using this plugin, and it will deactivate certain HTTP requests, deactivate update checks, deactivate Gravatar, um, and any remote resources. And so it's a cool little plugin, so go check it out. Uh, it's one of the ones that I really like, not necessarily just because of what it does, but because it's solving the development problem, uh, which it's some, I think solving problems in your development is really fun. Like right. building, building products and building tools is cool too. But then running into problems when you're building those things and saying, oh, well, let me build something else that fixes that problem. And I think this is a great example of that. Yeah. Cool. I'm going to check this out because I just recently in this situation, I think it was on an airplane or something. And uh, what I ended up doing is downloading the like the open sans font that I needed <laughs> to my <laughs> local machine and then just commenting out the, 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 I don't know, the link, whatever, the link tag that, that includes it. Um, yeah. but what I've that, done a few times that also works kind of, is if you turn your Wi-Fi off, uh, for whatever reason, that actually works as well. But oh, if yeah. you don't turn your Wi-Fi off on your computer, it freaks out. Huh. Weird. Yeah. For, I, don't, I don't know why, but apparently um, all of the HTTP requests fail instantly if Wi-Fi is disabled, hmm. at least in OS X. Interesting. So anyway cool little plugin. Thanks, Mr. Norcross, for taking the time to write that. Yeah, for sure. So I've been hearing a lot about commoditization of WordPress themes. I've been hearing it since, I think, Pressnomics this past October, or maybe even before, and I'm still baffled. I have no idea what it means. <laughs> do, you, do you understand what, the, what people mean when they say that WordPress themes are becoming commodities? Does that make any sense to you? Well, yes and no. Uh, initially, I I don't really agree with the title because in a in a way, I think WordPress themes are designed to be products that are plug and play. You purchase it, you turn it on, and you're done. Um, and to me, that is kind of the definition of a commodity in some way. I mean, if if you look up the literal definition of a commodity. <laughs> I'll in other ways, I'm going to look it up right now. Here's here it is: a raw material or primary agricultural product that could be bought and sold, such as copper or coffee, a useful or valuable thing such as water or time. 
Hmm. It's pretty ambiguous. It's a very different definition than I read. <laughs> um, but I, I think the overall argument with it, uh, regardless, I guess, of what semantics tell us, is is that the that WordPress themes are in 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 some way maybe. Um, using some of their, okay, if you hire a designer and you hire a development team to build you a custom website, one of the things that you're getting is supposedly a very unique setup, a very unique design, the layout, et cetera, or that's sure. the plan, a specialized okay. one. Whereas a theme, a theme is, is not uh, yeah. widely used. Just as an example, take the Avada theme. Everyone sees the Avada theme and they know that's Avada. Kind of like when you see 2012, you know that's 2012. <clears throat> and and I think that's where some people are getting into um, saying that these themes, w when they say that they're become, becoming much more of a commodity. And now, to be honest, I don't pay as much attention to the theme world, so I may be completely wrong on this. Yeah, you, you and me both. We probably shouldn't even be, probably not qualified. <laughs> We're not the right people this. to talk about this, this um, issue. But I, uh, t to me, that word commodity, like to me, I think of, the first thing I think of is like, you know the the financial report on the business channel where they're talking about this the price of crude and and how it's fluctuating and and gold right and and the difference between those things and a theme uh if you kind of well the, there's obvious differences but if you're just thinking about it like financially and i mean there's no no one's gonna if you if i buy gold tomorrow you know, no one's gonna give me support or service for that gold, right? <laughs> I'm right. I'm buying. It's a it's a good that I can use as currency, basically, right? I don't see people buying up themes to to you know to ward off you know the Great Depression. You know, like that's <laughs> that's not. I, that's why I just don't understand how this is how it's a commodity, how these things are commodity. If WordPress themes all of a sudden had no support, like if you didn't have to support them and you could trade them as currency, then yeah, I'd be like, oh yeah, they're definitely commodities. But that's not happening, right? Like anytime soon. I don't see that ever happening. Like when when no. is there, when's there going to be a day where a theme's never going to require support, right? There is a, um, an interesting discussion on WP Tavern uh, started yesterday. Uh, Jeff Chandler wrote a post titled "Are the Days of Paying Less Than $100 for a WordPress Theme Over?" And it is basically uh, a list of a bunch of different articles that have talked about uh, the state of the WordPress theme industry. Uh, are WordPress themes a commodity? On selling them, prices of themes, um, things with the, the GPL and themes, and a whole bunch of other uh, articles that have been recently published about selling the th selling themes in the theme market. Uh, and one of the things that was brought up in the discussion of the article is how a theme, the definition of a theme should be something that you can just install, turn on, and you're done. When you purchase a theme, there really shouldn't be any after-purchase support. There shouldn't be. There shouldn't need to be, is what uh, several people like Chris Wallace were saying, based upon the way that a theme works and what a theme is designed to do. Unfortunately, that's not really the case. I mean, as, as any theme company knows or anybody that's ever sold themes or anybody who's ever sold plugins even uh, knows that there's a huge amount of customer support involved with themes. Um, 
I like I like what Chris is saying though in his article that he the, the way they're building their themes now they're really minimizing the possibilities of them having to provide support. They're, they're, they're trying to attain that goal where you don't have support, right? Where you don't need it, right? Uh, and I, I love that idea. Um, I think, but I think the only way that that's going to, you know, you can get the percentage down, right? Like you can say like, oh, we've really decreased our support requests, right? But to get it down to zero, I think you're going to have to pretty much ban plugins, right? Because I mean, well, plugins are going to affect your theme regardless. Absolutely. Right? And, and no matter, the, the thing is you have, 40,000 plugins out there, there's going to be a bad one. Right. Uh, and I think this is why WordPress.com doesn't have nearly as much theme support. But what's interesting is that even on WordPress.com, uh, the theme authors still do customer support questions. Right. What I mean is that even in a, even in a Highly, setup where you don't have plugins right. at all, and it's still it's not support. just plugins. I mean, that environment is like highly restricted, right? Those those yeah, themes right. are almost completely different, right? Right. Now, I would I would suspect that the kind of customer support questions you get on .com are completely different than on a self-hosted theme site, uh, simply because of there's not nearly as many variables that come into play. I would be, I would love to see uh, if if. Chris Wallace, I know you're the person that said that, that where I read that comment. So if you're listening to this, by the way, I'd love to know what kind of questions you get or anybody else who sells themes on .com. Yeah. Uh, I'm kind of intrigued by that. Are, are they questions about, hey, I don't know how to change the color? I don't know. Yeah. I would be very interested to hear I bet you they're are. very different. My, that would be my, my guess is that they're My guess is different. they're very different and that they're probably much simpler. Right. And like how... You know, at what point are the theme authors invoked? Like, so WordPress.com must provide their own support for the platform. So, at what point does the support request get kind of offloaded on the theme? Pushed off. You know, I, yeah, I don't know. So, yeah, see, we need to have someone on to talk about this. Clearly, <laughs> yeah. there's a good, there's a good topic for us. Yeah, um, there was so some of the comments on on the WP Tavern post. Uh, so, I mean, the, the idea was, are we going to stop paying less than $100 for themes? Uh, and a couple of people said, you know what? If I get a well-coded theme that just works, I have no problem paying $100 for a theme versus $30. Other people brought the, the point that, well, you shouldn't, have, you shouldn't be paying for good quality versus bad quality because if you're buying something, it should be good quality, period. Um, right. Which I think is a very fair point. Um, yeah. I mean, right now, a lot of In other of words, that your costs... theme shouldn't be priced higher because it's minimal and good quality as opposed to somebody who's priced lower just because it's poor quality. Um, yeah, right. That's kind of kind of a crappy way to do pricing, to be honest. <laughs> I don't uh, know. It depends. I don't know. For me, like Chris Wallace's article was excellent because he was talking about niche niche themes mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And I think that's that he has a great point there that that's really how things are going. Um, and I think if you, if you are building a niche theme, that's kind of, 
um, it's specialized, right? Then I think something like that does warrant a higher price tag, right? Because it's very, it's a specialized thing, right? Certainly, but but you're but the price is based upon the focus of the theme, not how well you wrote your CSS in the theme. Right. Is that, that's basically what one guy was pointing out in the comments. Right. Hmm. And, I, and in, in general, I think I completely agree with him. Um, now, that does not mean that I am... To, okay, let me put it this way. I am much happier paying a premium for a quality theme than I am paying, paying the same price or less for a less quality theme. But are you... Was the price of that theme from the author decided, was it determined to be higher because it was a w better CSS or better PHP? Does that make sense? Right. Uh, I'm not even going to talk about pricing because pricing, <laughs> pricing, yeah. pricing is really is crazy. I mean, there's psychology around pricing. I mean, if you have a higher price, some people will come to you purely because they believe that a higher price will get them higher quality, right? Right. Which is not necessarily the case. You might just be higher priced because the guy arbitrarily chose a higher price. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not even going to start getting into that. Um, should we talk about Tim Thumb and the crazy security alert? Yeah, let's mention that real quick. Uh, so, anybody who didn't know, uh, Tim Thumb has been unfortunately once again has discovered to have a major security flaw in it. Did you read about it? What I the have, flaw does? I haven't even read a thing about it. I just saw it's, it and I was like, eh, that's old news. So, <laughs> it's, it, I mean, the, the good news is that this, the, the flaw only affects people that have uh, actually turned on a specific feature that is disabled by default, which is good. So it doesn't necessarily affect every single person using Tim Thumb. However, if it's enabled, it's what's called their webshot feature. Uh, if it is enabled, it allows a someone to execute uh, a pretty simple command to execute any arbitrary PHP they want. Yikes! Yeah, it's a pretty big deal. Um, they somebody actually showed an example of how it works, and it's basically a single request to the Tim Thumb file, and it allows you to. Um, I think, to basically put in uh, either the location of a PHP file uh, or put in straight PHP and then execute that. And once you can do that, you can do anything you want. Uh, so it's a pretty big deal. Um, right. Tim, Tim Thumb, unfortunately, has a pretty negative history yeah. of having some, some, some vulnerabilities in it. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of unfortunate because I think the script itself is really cool. Yeah, I mean the big, the big. I think the big problem with Tim Thumb is that it gets bundled into things and then it never gets updated. And never updated, right? Yeah. Whereas like WordPress has you know a fair number of vulnerabilities that come out, but they they get dealt with really quickly and updated quickly. Um, whereas Tim Thumb's not necessarily easy to do that, right? So for example, if Tim Thumb was included with your theme, right? Well, does updating Tim Thumb bust your theme? Right, you know, who right. knows? So it's really up to the theme author to update Tim Thumb and then do a new release. And sometimes that just doesn't happen. And then hopefully have every single one of your customers or users update. <laughs> right, right. Which is there's we a both lot know of reality is not going to happen. There's a lot of things that are probably not going to work out in that in that whole string of events there, right? So 
Yeah, the, I think... that that alone is one of the reasons that I try to avoid scripts like Timthumb or external libraries that uh, are not necessarily that are going to be vulnerable, but that that you do need to keep updated and and be very aware of. Uh, it's not. I'm not saying that you should avoid them. I'm saying that you should be very cautious about just including them just because they're nice or that they solve a problem. Think you have to think about the bigger picture of, okay, what if this fails? What are we going to do? Yeah, I mean the the sequence of events we just discussed. I mean that we you know we're talking about Timthumb, but it could be a, a different script that was bundled with the theme that has a vulnerability that isn't getting updated. Right? It's really a symptom of that whole process. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I think the the onus is on the theme author to make sure that they update their libraries that they're including and then get those updates out to their customers and get them updated. Really. Right. Unfortunately, you're not going to be able to get every single customer updated because no. either some people aren't going to see the notifications, they're not going to read and for or know why it's important. Right. But as, as product creators, it is our responsibility to at least ensure that we've done everything that we can. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, so... We don't have any new iTunes reviews, but we would love to get some. That would be awesome. <laughs> so if you are consuming this podcast through iTunes, uh, if you could just go on there and you know, click on that rightmost star for us, that would be cool. Appreciate that. Um, and I, I think that pretty much wraps us up for the day. Um, but I would love to send out another invite to anybody that wants to tell us about a development failure that has affected their... Um, how they work today or things that they keep in mind, whether it's how much you test or the way that you work, the tools you use, et cetera, I'd love to hear about those. Um, and I think it's something that I would also love to have ongoing uh, throughout Apply Filters because I think learning from failures is one of the best ways that we get better as developers. And so if that's myself or Brad telling a story where we failed or hearing from the listeners and then sharing that story. Um, I think it, we can all learn from other people's mistakes as well. So any, anybody who wants to share, here's an open invitation. Absolutely. So to do that, you can, it's probably best to submit a topic idea. So go to applyfilters.fm and just click submit topic idea in the header and uh, fill out that form and we'll, we'll get it. So yeah, uh, you're also you're also welcome to leave a comment on one of the episodes if you want. Uh, sure. Either method will work fine. Uh, however you want. Yeah, depends if you want so, this public or not. <laughs> yeah. By the way, if you want to tell us a story, uh, add, let us know whether if you want your information publicly released or not. We have no problem keeping things private, but we will also mention who it came from if you would like us to. Perfect. Thanks everybody for listening.